and welcome to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and with me tonight is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Matt Nas of the Roach Coach Podcast. Matt and I sit down and talk for about an hour about Toxicity by System of a Down and what that record meant to us, and you guys know the drill. Let's get into it. No, it's interesting with that you picked this out. Well, okay, so it didn't surprise me that you picked this album. Also doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but I'm also excited because I never got to talk about System of a Down on discography right. discussion. I uh, remember, yeah. Because we were having a kid or some little distraction that I just decided to throw everything away on and, you know, go support you my wife, have a child. Caution to the wind. Hey, podcast, wait. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> having a baby. Yeah, good reason. That's a good reason. Yeah. I never made that mistake again, too, because I remember when I, whenever we did the Rammstein episode with you, I was, like, on watch, like, going to have a kid any minute or whatever, but we can we can totally talk about Rammstein right now. <laughs> like For three hours, I believe? Three a... hours, we, yeah. We did not have the kid that day. That was a very long conversation about Rammstein. Well, you guys were trying to talk about Rammstein. I was just, like, talking about my moral and ethical issues with people playing recordings of actual people dying and i went on about that for at least a solid 40 minutes i don't like it i think is the uh, place we got to in the end right yeah yeah it's something like that it was like my personal opinion and it's it's my show so here you go <laughs> yeah well you should you should share your personal opinions on your show I've, I've realized that more and more as as we've gotten more and more you know have, have grown the fan base as it were over the years it's like oh yeah because like in podcasting there's that thing of like oh when are when are we gonna fucking pop you know right. like what's gonna be the thing is it gonna be a guest is it gonna be the this is it gonna be the that and like every single time you do something super special it might bring some people in and then the next week they're gone because really at the end of the day for roach coach it's like the three of us are the show so if we're not doing it people don't like it and you know with with your show it's like you're the show like you can have you could have very big guests come on but it's like next week they gotta like you <laughs> right right yeah if i didn't throw some of that glue down you know on the right. floor right away you know there's no reason to stick right oh god i've been a dad for way too long because that but that you're a dad that glue analogy yeah, dude was, that Okay. That rolled so seamlessly off of your tongue. It was just like, you know, if you don't put that glue down, it ain't going to stick. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. That was so fast to effortless. You were an effortless father. I love this. Well, speaking of sticking yes. uh, or, or sticky, gooey things, why toxicity? What is it about toxicity? And you know what show you're on. So from a yeah. historical perspective... Because I, I know a little bit of your history as a music fan, starting off in sort of the industrial goth subculture. You were like a, mm -hmm. you were into that for a while. I don't know if that was your earliest. Um, no, well, I'll, I'll, t I'll give you a little brief. So I am, I am an old man at this point. I'm 45. So grew up in the 80s, very much an 80s radio, pop radio kid. Hip-hop happened at the same time. Love hip-hop. 
love i mean we're and we're talking about like that there's a street corner kids are standing everybody's wondering where's the wagon like <laughs> that type of hip-hop but somewhere around 92 when nirvana hit musical tastes started to change i'm a teenager i'm looking for that thing really got into the goth industrial loved nine inch nails like was heavy into nine inch nails and that just kind of led to the ministry and then once you get there it's basically like a crazy person with a picture with 17 lines coming off of it connecting to other bands to other projects and then you get skinny puppy and it's like all these other projects um but somewhere around there it it just kind of was like okay it is what it is and now it's like really bloopy and bleepy and i do like like there's a band called vnv nation that was really like this next wave after like the industrial wave kind of happened and the more metally industrial wave happened that was just like i like this but this isn't where i want to spend my time and that's kind of where i really became a snob and i was listening to a lot of radiohead and a lot of brit pop and a lot of things like that so then it was like I got there, but then this new metal thing was happening and I was totally choosing sides. And I was like, ugh, I hate this. This is trash. I like I like Radiohead, you know, what cool people like. And it's like, well, uh, there's there was a lot of other really cool bands that happened in the mid to late 90s. But okay, Matt, no problem. But toxicity has always grabbed me. System of a Down has always grabbed me. And of all the albums that I listened to of that time, I feel like it holds up really, really well comparatively to, especially, especially to the goth industrial stuff I was listening to that, you know, like when you're four generations away from ministry and like pretty hate machine or downward spiral, like it is just unlistenable. <laughs> like, sure. And, and production wise too, like, a lot of the early industrial stuff that I was listening to was very much people in their basement or in their bedroom making it on truly a G4 Mac. And like it just was tinny and it's like, I'll put it on in my car and I'll have nostalgia, but I won't have the desire to continue to listen. Right. I was like, I put on Toxicity and from the first chug, I'm like, I'm going to re-listen to this whole album again. Here we go. Like, and... There isn't a ton of albums from the early 2000s that really grab me like that still, where I'm like, I can still listen to cover to cover without really an issue or even a hesitation. And my heavy music experience is very minimal. And I wouldn't say System of a Down is a very heavy band. It's heavy to me, but that's like saying, you know, like, to a person who's never had sugar before like this is Splenda and like oh too much you know like it's just or you know, whatever get make a better analogy you you're better at it but you know no, what I mean good. like but you know what I mean where it's just like I didn't I grew I had a lot of pop punk loved a lot of that type of stuff but you know just really mainstream rock metal things like that but I was never like I am a Metallica fan. Well, I, I always thought they were fine, but it was never like that. 80s hair metal completely missed me. I hated power ballads. So, like, this was a thing 
that was very easy for me to glom onto because it, it is a punk record with crunchier riffs. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny when you say that, you know, oh, they're not, maybe they're not really a heavy band, they're heavy to you. I will say with, at least I think I've got a little bit of skin in the game on what heavy is. This is a perfectly heavy record. And I didn't really even catch it until really until today. When you're not listening to grind, <laughs> you know, and and all of these like death metal, death core type of you know all the all the yeah. new cool genres that the kids listen to these days. Um, yeah, that stuff is heavy because maybe it's more extreme or there's more production value. But when you look at the actual quality of the riffs themselves, you know, you said from the very first chug, this album literally starts off with a chug, right. Like that's it, just just dun 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 dun, and so even now that's heavy. Like the guy that was that was one house over from me when I was chopping wood this morning, I was blasting this out of a unusually loud Bluetooth speaker. Uh, he was, you know, he kind of looked over, he kind of looked over and was like, "Oh God, I am not going to approve of whatever's about to happen here." And uh, you know, yeah, you get the chug chug chug, and then surge whispers. You know, they try to build a prison. You know, and yep. And I'm this, on board. Ticket punched. I'm yeah. going wherever you guys are going. What's interesting about this record and what's interesting about your history with it, and mine as well, I'll give a little bit of mine, although I, I did admit on the Incubus episode that I uploaded recently that the first CD I ever bought was Make Yourself by Incubus. Interesting. Mine, Cool Modi's Knowledge is King. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> See, that's why you have such a richer palate than I do. I'm like, oh, does it does it jam or does it not jam? You know. <laughs> but I I bought that record and that was very somewhere of a mix, right? Because like, make mm-hmm. yourself kind of heavy, but it's not heavy, heavy. You know, right? Not, not in comparison to other bands. There's a lot of the melody. There's a lot more focus on melody in songs over aggression. Not that you can't be melodically aggressive, but sorry, yeah. I'll you have fucking patriarch fans or whatever. <laughs> Whatever. My brother-in-law is very much into, like, the seven time signature. So, like, he'll play all these bands, like, periphery and things like that. And I'm, like, always left, like, cool. Like, it just, I'm so dumb with my music. I'm like, I need 4-4 and sweet riffs, please. There was no reason for me to really get into this album for any reason other than peer pressure. You know, because... This is around that same time of, you know, probably a year or two before I heard this record, I was a kid that stood outside or stood in my backyard listening to whatever came on the radio playing on a swing set, mm-hmm. you know? So there was no reason for me to immediately like this. Like, I had kind of liked Corn uh, at yep. that time, and I had kind of liked Slipknot, but, like, there was no way I was going to buy those albums. The only reason I got Make Yourself was because it didn't have a parental advisory sticker on it. It should have, but it didn't. Right. Um, so this record, I remember sort of standing around with kids at school and them talking about the old System of a Down record. You know, they're, they're self-titled. Right. Right. The very first time I ever heard System of a Down was on the Dracula 2000 soundtrack. Oh, they geez. had a song on there called Metro, and I hated it. Isn't it the cover of the Berlin song Metro? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And it's so 
somebody's going to fact check that. They're going to be like, it is not a cover of the, you know, but I'm oh. just trying to sound cool as in like, yeah, I know exactly what he's referencing and I know exactly what uh, all of this is because we're podcasters and we know everything. I heard the song and I didn't like it. I didn't like the guy's voice. I didn't like his delivery. I didn't like any of it. Um, and that soundtrack, my brother would listen to that every single day on the way to school. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was like there was that Slayer song uh, on there, which I liked, which was from like the worst Slayer album. Yeah, there was there was all kinds of really cool stuff on there. There was a Taproot song on there that I loved that was never on the tap. When I got the Taproot album, the song that I loved wasn't on the album. That's um, the fucking worst. Boy, this, that re- <laughs> I get it. That drives me crazy. <laughs> that soundtrack in a lot of ways was kind of my introduction to like heavier music. Just because it is probably everything that they were trying to push as heavy metal mm-hmm. at that time. Because, I mean, the first song was Power Man 5000, Ultra, Ultra Mega. Mega. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Disturbed, Slayer, System of, System of a Down, Monster Magnets on there for some reason. Uh, Godhead, Marilyn Manson, Linkin Park, Pantera, Static X, Head PE, Taproot. You know, they're all there. It's a real, like, who's who of who's who. <laughs> like, it yeah. doesn't have corn and it doesn't have Limp Biscuit, but. Other no. than that, like, it's running down the, uh, some pretty heavy players. Yeah, definitely. And I remember that System of a Down song was so, it stood out to me, but, like, in a really bad way. Because I was like, this guy can't scream like these guys, other guys can scream. Like, because Linkin Park's One Step Closer comes on, and there ain't no competing with Chester Bennington as far as who's a, a great screamer, you know? Yeah. And so it was definitely like, I was like, oh, God, this is so weird. But there were other weird songs on that soundtrack anyway. Like the Flybanger song was weird. Everything Monster Magnet's ever done is weird. Like, I like Monster Magnet now, but back then I had. Monster Magnet always hits me way more with the sleaze. Like, you know, like, welcome to the stage, candy. And Monster (laughs) Magnet plays always works, you know? (laughs) Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, this band had no. I would have. I would have never listened to Toxicity. Okay. If all my friends weren't nuts about it. So, two thousand one, you are in high school, or are you graduated? Where are you? Timeline. So in two thousand one, I'm in high school. Okay. But very early high school. So this is my early career. Uh, I have just started OnStar, and I worked part-time at a record store, so I am like 22. Yeah, I would say 22 at the point that this comes out. Okay, Okay. perfect. So now I know exactly where we are. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. The peer pressure was, you know, I remember I had a buddy named Chris Burke who was like he was the guy that you went and talked to for metal right okay like like over the years my singular goal in high school was to become the guy right you know what i mean that everybody went to for music but at the time i was like third or fourth down on the list this other guy was was still number one uh and he was just going nuts about toxicity and this was at such a formative age where it was a unique period of time in my life where like a three-year period that if I listened to something and I didn't like it, but somebody else liked it, I had to figure out why I was wrong, <laughs> you know? And, and right. I had to fi- I had to figure out what it was about me, 
that I what it was about this record that I wasn't getting because there was something that everyone else was seeing that I wasn't seeing. Yep. And I think what really made me come around on this record was probably the title track itself, Toxicity. Because it's actually one of the more, for lack of a better term, normal songs. Yeah. On the CD, uh, Surge doesn't really get too intense until we get on until we get to the chorus. There's a defined verse, chorus, verse kind mm -hmm. of structure to it. And it's funny because Chop Suey was obviously the standout single. Right. It was and, the first single I want to say for the album. Yeah. And and I mean if like I've got it pulled up in Spotify right now and you've got all of these other songs, you know, have play counts that are much higher than any podcast I've ever been a part of. <laughs> yeah, uh, same here. But but uh Chop Suey stands out as the as the prime king at 885 million streams. You know, and that's just since the invention of Spotify. Wow. Yeah. 85 million streams. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Jesus, that is, that's amazing. Like I, I didn't know that until I just read it. I just was like, read the bigger number, and then I was like, oh my god, that's a very big number, <laughs> it's a very big number. But Chop Suey, I didn't like because it doesn't follow that. It doesn't follow what you would expect, right? So like, I'm thinking, what what albums do I have at this point? I've got Make Yourself by Incubus. I've got uh, the Alien Ant Farm record. I think I had yep. okay at that time, and um, so I liked weird bands. I wasn't like totally unfamiliar with the concept of yeah, strangeness. Yeah, but you can't hear movies and then hear Chop Suey and be like, this is the same. They are not the same. They're not. I remember Chris burned me a copy of the CD. I remember putting on Prison Song, and I'm listening to it in biology class because I had, a, I had a, a, a teacher that was really cool with us wearing headphones in biology. So it's like I heard Mushroom Head the first time in biology class, and then I actually took off my headphones and listened to the rest of the lecture of biology class. Um, yep, that's uh, what Mushroom Head will do. <laughs> yep, yep. Thank you, Mushroom Head, for I passed biology. But I remember listening to Prison Song and just having no idea what was going on. Like, imagine sitting in a room of other people. They cannot hear what you're hearing. And you have to just sort of be cool whenever you hear the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. They try to build a prison. Yeah, and then you have that inhaled guttural scream <laughs> that goes up. Yeah, like uh, it's funny because I listen to bands whose vocals only sound like that a lot of the time. Yes, but but back then it was terrifying, and I'm like trying to be cool, sitting here in the middle of this class, like yeah, yeah, yeah this is just just jams, this jams, this jams, and then this record doesn't let up after that. No, it's it it is super good i mean it it's a super i have so many hot takes about toxicity but it is one of those records that once it gets going you're on the ride and it only slows down a few times you know ariel's obviously is a slow song toxicity starts slow but then hits pretty damn hard in the chorus also it seems that this album has sparked the uh the drum uh, <laughs> the drumming YouTube thing where people drum along with stuff. Yeah. Every every singer every single drummer on YouTube has done toxicity. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you gotta do this and you gotta do Queens of the Stone Age. And that's basically if you wanna do a drum YouTube. What do they call those things? God, I'm an old man. I, I would just call them drum YouTube. I mean I'm I'm not a young man, Matt. Uh <laughs> but 
Uh, and I'm trying to say that lightly because we just established exactly what our age difference is. So <laughs> if I say I'm not a young man, I don't want that to like become worse somehow. Yeah, I guess it's a drum cover. There we go. The drum cover. There you go. Yep. So, uh, but it just it, it never ceases to amaze me how many drum covers of toxicity there are. Go to any YouTube drummer's page, and tox toxicity will one hundred percent be on there, just because of the fills. All right, so we're bearing the lead. Rick Rubin produced this thing, and I don't know if he was in the room or not, but whoever actually recorded this album did a wonderful job. It this, doesn't sound like Rick Rubin for sure. No, this is a wonderfully recorded album. The levels are right. The balance is right. The vocals, to me, it's an incredibly well-produced album. It's, it sounds exactly how it's supposed to sound, at least to me. Like, there's some albums that you can hear it where it's like, eh, that's not in phase, or this is, a you know, I love this album, but, like, there's a lot of weird stuff on it. It doesn't sound cohesive to what they're trying to go for. Like, this album very much sounds like 100% what the band wanted. And I know that, you know, from a band history standpoint, you know, it's kind of like the dichotomy of Serge and Darren. It seems like Darren's pretty much the creative force behind writing the songs, whereas Serge is kind of like the voice of the band, even though Darren sings a ton. Yeah. They have a really weird band dichotomy. Like, they're all over the place. The other thing is, you could tell me that Serge does any job besides singer, and I believe you. You'd be like, well, Serge, you know, he used to be a carnival barker. I would be like, yep, totally makes sense. Yep. You know, Serge, he used to be a deep sea diver. Yep, of course he was. You know, like, you could tell me he did anything, and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, he used to yodel in the Alps uh, as a goat herder. Yep, of course he did. Those goats got right in line. Yeah. <laughs> That's why his voice is so powerful. Yeah, the voice is the thing that I had the most trouble getting used to. He... Yes, he's the price of entry. If you don't if you don't like Serge, you're gonna hate this band. Cause I don't think there's any way around him. And that's when that's when I have to say, like, I had to go back for the first album. I heard Sugar when it came out and it did not grab me. Yeah. I didn't like it. It was on I saw the video on this thing that was called the box. I don't know if you mm -hmm. remember the box, but it was like Yeah, a, the box we, yeah, it was like a request cable but, yeah we had one they, that didn't work yeah yeah it was also i guess it was cable it had to be cable it seemed like it was also uh, over the air we didn't have cable when i was a kid but at 2001 i would have thought we would have had cable but yeah it was like you call in the number and for 30 cents you can get a request so it was always like the same five videos mm -hmm. and every once in a while sugar would come on which is a very strange video and a very strange song and I didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. And I, you know, when I worked at the record store, it was very, like, at that, Sigur Rose, Radiohead, Star Sailor, Brit, Pop Travis, fucking, you know, like, uh, Paul, like, Brit, Pop. And, like, this was an album I was not supposed to listen to. 
but once I put it on, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this is great. This is great. And then uh, the unfortunate part is, of course, this comes out September 4th, 2001. Right. And I used to fall asleep to music. So I wake up September 11th with toxicity playing to find out uh, about the terror attacks. And I was like, oh, no. So this album, unfortunately, is also 100% tied to 9-11 for me. Oh, no. That's I have another album that's tied to 9-11 for me, which is P.O.D. Satellite, because it came out okay. on September 11th, and I was a huge P.O.D. fan uh, at the time because Christian rock fan. Yep. It was like the most anticipated release in that world uh, at the time, and I remember I had September 11th marked on my calendar Yeah, because I was going to ask my brother if he could drive me to the record store to buy Satellite. By, uh, we, I didn't end up getting it for a few more days after that, but... Man, that was right around that time. Yeah, because I know a, I knew this one was two thousand one, but I didn't know it was that close. It's the Tuesday before. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So I got it the Tuesday before, and I was in. I had a Pioneer six disc changer for my hi-fi because, of course, mm-hmm. I had separates. Right. Um. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was going. It's this and Kid A are my big. Uh, those two albums like basically followed each other. Uh, in the 2001 September time frame. We need to talk about Kid A sometime. Oh, I love it. I love that record. I love I love this record. And, uh, like, there's a lot of things that I didn't realize that I realize now, like how much Darren sings. Yeah. Like, I always thought it was all Serge, and it's like, no, it's also Darren. And, like, I've never seen them live, but I... And I kind of don't want to because I think they're a studio band. Oh, That's, really? Well, I haven't seen them live either. Every clip, every time I see something live, so like they did a, um, they're Armenian and they're they're very vocal about the Armenian genocide, which isn't recognized um, internationally. Like there's some people that straight up deny the Armenian genocide. I don't know anything about it, so that's where I'll leave it. But basically, right. they're very vocal about it, and they did a show in Armenia, and it's good, but it's like Darren does so many guitar tricks on this album that like, for him to do live don't always work, or it's just not as rich or as full as it is on the album. Like, sonically, Toxicity as an album, as a, you know, like, as a studio album, has never really translated to this to the live venue in every recording i heard i'm sure if i was in the pit i'd be like yes this is, yeah you this wouldn't have cared at all yeah you wouldn't have been, given a shit but like you'd have been surviving yeah you know but for my house watching youtube uh i'm all judgy i'm just judging the living hell out of it you got your you got your chai tea and a gigantic mug that's Sirsh the size of your off. head yeah Sirsh doesn't sound very good in this uh Man, if I was there in Richmond, Virginia, I would have been very upset. Look, buddy, get over yourself. Play to a backing track. Come on. Trust me on this. Trust it works this. really, really well. Uh, because I've I've ever done sound or right, set up exactly. for a major production ever in my life. Yeah, this record is... I Whenever I started actually liking it was probably my third or fourth time through. So did you have to get over yourself to like it? Or was it just, yeah, like, obviously you listened to it because your friends were hounding you on it. Yes. And I, I can understand that because when we did it on Roach Coach, 
Scribble, a longtime listener and a musician himself, was like, I hated this record because all of my friends loved it. And I just, they played it nonstop, which I totally get. Like, I've not liked things because it's been overplayed by friends. Uh, my friend, my best friend, Matt Rose, for a year straight, every time I got into the car was, Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Oof. I okay. hate that song now. Like, I never want to hear that song again. But, like, he loved it. But, boy, I do not. I do not love it. But uh, to answer your question, it wasn't that I had to get over myself. And this is a little bit behind the scenes, but that's that's where we're at now. Well, we're, we're in the dungeon, buddy. Like, yeah, welcome to the dungeon, Marine. But, no, there's actually... It's more that I didn't have a self to get over. Mm. At the time, I was like a like a mushy little piece of clay, right? Because I mean, there, there's tons of times on discography discussion where you'd hear me say something like, "Oh yeah, back when this record from like 1992 came out, you know, this record wasn't, you know," and like I would always talk about it with some air of authority, like as if I was there. Right. But like he and I already know what I think about it, and I already have this like developed opinion about it. But here we have an example of a record where I actually was there, <laughs> you know, when it when it came out, but really didn't know what to think about it. Because, like, this album reminds me a lot of the movie Evil Dead 2. Ooh. In the sense that it does not let up. Because, like, you're talking about Toxicity and Aerials. Toxicity is the 12th song, and Aerials is the 14th song. Everything before that, if, you, if you've watched Evil Dead 2 recently, that is a movie that also starts and does not let up pretty much from beginning to end. Every minute of it, I, I forced my wife, she wasn't my wife then, I'm not sure why she agreed to be my wife now after me making her watch this movie, but we watched uh, Evil Dead 2, and I remember her making the comment that like every single second there's something going on. Whether yes. it's whether it's 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 somebody popping up from the ground as a zombie, or somebody beating on the door, or something flying across the room, or just blood spewing from a random hole in the wall, or you know all of all of these things are happening all at once, and that is kind of how toxicity hit me because I didn't really have a frame of reference for it other than like Incubus, Alien Farm, even Corn, even the Corn that I was introduced to was not the corn that put out daddy, right? Like the right. corn that I was introduced to was like freak on a leash, got the life, you know, uh, even some of the stuff on issues that corn got more corn got with the mainstream rock program, you know, relatively quickly. Yep. System of a down didn't care about any of that at all. The entire selling point of the band was an uncomfortable feeling. And I think at that age, when, when I'm a teenager, I'm thinking of like how do I relate to this, right? Like you can mm. relate to you can relate to corn because corn is you know, your parents maybe your upbringing wasn't that good or you got picked on in school or there's an overarching people don't yes. understand you, you're an you're a misfit, you're an outcast, which is universal. Everybody feels like a misfit or an outcast. You don't you can't relate to prison song as a as a white midwestern nope. kid. You know, in St. Louis, Missouri in 2000. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not relatable in that same way. And Surge doesn't sing with this, like, melodic beauty or, you know, because sometimes they can get you with a voice. It's not like 
it's not like Incubus's lyrics, especially on science and stuff, are it's not like those are relatable either. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's actually that was the record that this reminded me the most of was Science by Incubus. Uh, because that's also a very balls out insane record. But it's still super smooth. You still got Brandon Boyd doing that, you know, shirtless dude on the beach thing yep. that he does. And but then you've got Surge, which is, you know, a guy that is very, very loud, very boisterous. He's the annoying kid in class that just starts yelling over everybody else. He doesn't yell in a cool way like Corey Taylor does. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? I he doesn't. It. He doesn't have that that like built-in teenage angst. His rage is uncomfortable rage. It's the same way I felt when I first heard at the drive-in, where it's like you've got this guy that's yelling, but his voice doesn't objectively sound good. <laughs> you know. But you can still sort of get into it with the, with the passion, although I never did really figure out what at the drive-in was singing about. Um, no, like they they are a word salad. Like, oh yeah, yeah, and that's that's somewhere James two. Joyce is like excellent. Yes, <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's episode two of this podcast. We literally started the podcast on that note of like I don't know what this guy's saying, I don't know anything about it, but I love it. Uh, yeah. And that's what eventually ended up happening with me and Surge and System of a Down is, is where I was like, okay, just because it's different. This is the first time I ever really thought this in, in my formative years. It's okay for this to be different. It doesn't mean that it's bad. Right. It just means that I don't get it right now. And it's entirely possible that I might not ever get it. The The big question is, and there's no answer to this. The big question is, is if I didn't listen to Toxicity in 2001 and accept it for what it was, would I have ever gotten into extreme metal? Whoa. It's impossible impossible to know. Right. But what do you think? Is there a line? Or would there just have been somewhere else because the, the die was cast? I don't know because I asked I asked a very similar question uh, in my mortification episode, which was basically, was I always attracted to dark, morbid subject matter, or was I attracted to it because I was introduced to it as a small child in a church scenario? It's another like chicken or the egg. Like which one is it? Right. You don't really know. But I do wonder because like my favorite band, famously uh, Zayo, Zayo, right? I think if I put my I know down, it. you can see the poster. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Zayo is also a band where the t- vocals are 100% the price of admission. Mm-hmm. They could get away with everything else that they do, but if you if you were not into that serpentine, growling voice, then you're not going to ever get on board. And I think Toxicity is the first example that I remember of that, where... I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, because eventually I did spend the 15 bucks or right. whatever it was back then, right? So I was like, I'm going to buy Toxicity, and I and at first I'm going to buy it and listen to it so that I have something to talk about with people. I can analyze the things that I know about, because even all the way back then, it was like, get a record, absorb it, and then talk about it, right? Yeah. And so this record was one of the first examples, number one, of something I was analyzing that I didn't particularly love yet. But upon further listens and and making more connections, it was really after I had 
branched out and started hearing other bands and then starting to realize that like oh there's there's this thing that they're over here trying to do they're trying to do what system of a down did on toxicity but they're not doing it they're not doing it as well or maybe they're doing it better you know and so now when i look back on this record i'm very much like oh my god this is so ahead of its time like yeah. like vocally like this this made annoying vocals mainstream <laughs> in the sa- in the same way that in the same way that at the drive-in tried to do mm. you know with like the high-pitched yelling and, and all of that but just the idea of chaotic vocals chaotic music well especially like when i think of the first record and i think of like sweet pea and i think of and i of course sugar and you know the back half of that record definitely feels very operatic like intentionally theatrical Mm -hmm. um whereas this record is very much taking that theatricality but really nailing it down in structure like i take a look at chop suey as a song and it's like there's a lot of things going on in in chop suey Chop Suey is a very good song to me. I really like it. But if somebody who's a casual music fan hears Chop Suey, they're probably not going to like it. Yeah, probably not. No. They're probably going to be like, okay. Because number one, it's either going to be too aggressive or it's too confusing. Because there's a lot of signature changes. There's a lot of timing changes. And it might be 4-4 throughout the whole thing. But it seems like it. how it does the loud, quiet, loud... Mm-hmm. Is way different than like how Rage Against the Machine does loud, quiet, loud. Right. You know, like Rage is just like, take it, take out the guitar. I'm gonna whisper the thing. And System of a Down does that. Like to me, like Rage is the analog for System of a Down. Like they are a one-to-one, like the line is almost directly to them. Add the theatricality of Queen and you know, something else <laughs> that I don't know, but like just pure old school punk rock and then like that's where tax toxicity lives but like yes there's songs the whole album has accessible songs but sometimes those accessible songs are their stupidest songs right right yeah (laughs) Like, like like shimmy Yes. Like, Shimmy makes me feel so good when I'm listening to it, but I'm like, this is the dumbest song I've ever heard. Bounce is dumb. Pogo. Yep. Psycho's real dumb. Yep. Yeah, like, they they have a lot of pretty straight-up dumb songs on here. Um, But, like, Prison Song, that feels like a Rage Against the Machine song. Oh, yeah. Um, Lyrics and everything. Yep. Needles has the, the tapeworm line, which is incredible incredible but also super like what what are we talking about like what's the parasite that we're actually talking about deer dance you know i think is kind of going to once again a global hey there's a lot of other things going on in the global world that you're not aware of because you're americans and you tend to only think about what's going on right in front of you which like of course i don't understand so this course is like why it's the 911 hey, album there's stuff for me. going there's stuff going on that's not right in front of me what <laughs> exactly yeah. yep but like the whole album to me is just it's like people it's confusing you know like it's not straightforward 
until it is. Right. It's you like some of it, other parts not so much. But sometimes you like those parts because they're unique. You know what I mean? Like I know you know what I mean because some th- in this, in this day and age where our pop music is even more overly produced and doesn't take a lot of risks and is you know like but i feel like right now is an excellent time for music i think there is wonderful music literally everywhere there's almost too much of it freaking everywhere the thing is those really cool niche things don't pop like they would have 20 years ago right because they don't get any radio play they don't get any exposure they just kind of live as their own thing and if they can do social media well they'll gain a following and be able to tour and hopefully be able to support themselves and maybe grow that way but from like an exposure standpoint like system of a down was played on fucking rock radio yeah like Chop Suey was like, I turn on my radio, I'm in my car driving, and Chop Suey is playing. Right. That doesn't happen now. Now it's, here's a very specifically highly curated, expertly produced, the singer sounds full robot, and here's your song. Yeah. And And it's like why i like this album and why i can go back to it so often is like it is far from perfect and that's what makes it perfect to me like it is i like it warts and all i like that it has stupid songs on it like really stupid songs but like they're all catchy i'm a sucker for hooks i'm and i'm a sucker for like the weird things that they do like a song about charles manson should not be a song that I enjoy. Love that song. <laughs> it's funny because it's such lightning in a bottle. Because yeah. that's the thing that that's the thing that has always fascinated me about this era of music. And like on a purely psychological level, clearly the reason that I am so interested in it is because it was my formative era of getting into mm-hmm. music. But I think it's really interesting that like you you couldn't get something like Chop Suey on the radio. Unless you got pop radio to, or pop rock radio to be okay with hearing Jonathan Davis go, you know what I mean? Like exactly, yeah. You know, like on on a mainstream song, but the radio station's gonna play it because it's like, dude, these guys corn. Like this is their third album and it's their biggest one, and they've sold so many records before this, you know. And it's like we can sell this as metal to people that right. maybe don't know what metal is, <laughs> you know? Totally. Not not that they need to, but like, I mean, in the mid '90s, you've got like what Pantera is metal. Yeah, like they're the they're the pantheon, right? They're the gatekeepers, or right, or the highest form, which is objectively not true. Like, right? If you if you were there and you were listening to metal, it just wasn't popular anymore. But there was lots of fucking metal happening a lot of underground stuff that just didn't get that type of play absolutely yeah for radio play once fucking black album hit it was it was lights out like that's that's your radio metal that's what it's gonna be it's gonna be enter sandman and riffs like that and that is where it lived for quote-unquote metal Right, and then you've got, you know, even bands like Sepultura, which were pure metal for yep. a long time, 
jumped into kind of the new metal vein with Roots. And yeah, but you were like, never going to hear Roots on the radio. <laughs> no, you weren't. And so it's, but it's interesting because like Roots has to sell a bunch of records in order okay. for Corn to sell a bunch of records. Even though Corn obviously like was selling records just fine on their own. So just a quick punch in. When Matt and I are talking about Sepultura Roots and Corn self-titled and all that, obviously Corn self-titled came out in 1994. Roots didn't come out until 1996. I was aware of that whenever I was saying this, but I feel like it might have come out wrong as if I was saying that Corn was influenced by Roots by Sepultura. It's actually the other way around. Sepultura heard Corn and decided to try to adopt that style. You know, starting but, off. But it is that thing of like, how do you create a mainstream audience? And it, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of handshakes over years. Yes. You know, like, that's the thing. It's like, I saw Ministry and Sepultura in 93 and then with helmet right and then sepultura that was on the um chaos ad tour right yeah and the uh psalm 69 tour so then sepultura i think their next record is roots yes after chaos ad so then roots happen corn's like right there with the self-titled i think they might have done a couple dates together so it's like all of these interesting handshakes and like things happening in and around and like downward spiral breaking is another where it's, where it's just like what's the what's the touchstone for that to become as big as it is it's basically closer closer bridges the gap because it's you know it's like a david bowie uh iggy pop song you know it's like nightclubbing it's sure yeah you know, i mean it's it's weird like it's it's such a weird time period for music. It is so strange. the The early '90s, especially. I mean, like, obviously, Nirvana breaks. It's huge. It opens the gate to a lot of bands that never would have gotten the exposure. Pixies break, indie breaks, but then like, there's this underneath that is kind of like weird butthole fucking surfers, right? Gets gets played on mainstream radio. Like, okay, sure. Right. And but then that's how you figure out that, like, okay, yeah, no, it actually makes perfect sense that something like a chop suey is going to get played. Yeah, because it's just a bunch of handshakes from, like, we've now created an audience. And, like, that's the thing that makes me not sad about mainstream right now, but it's like, oh, okay, this is why things are, because it's like, you just made it you know you just you the odd handshakes didn't happen the oh perfection perfection this is what this is what songs sound like this is what we're gonna play all the time right you know and obviously the clear channel decision where you know used to be and and i don't want to be old man about it but it used to be you couldn't own more than seven forms of media right you know like you yeah. couldn't own every station in the country now clear channel which became iHeartRadio, which they obviously fucking don't because they just try to program what's what they want they want to program your taste they want to program your taste obviously and it's like oh well then we're just going to give you the thing that you and i never will get 
is that music isn't as important to other people as it is to us. Oh my God, I know. It's so frustrating. Like, I know, I understand what you're saying, but I don't actually believe it. But it is true. It's like, yeah. It's like, that's the thing that I never understood because I, without music, I would have not made it like to where I am. Like, I always have a song in my head, I always have like something musical going on i started buying records again to reconnect with music in a way that wasn't uh you know that i wasn't getting through digital like it's so important to me but to somebody else like my brother could listen to the same song all day right. all day only one tr you know like one song and i'm like i cannot do that i need like a lot of songs i need a lot of music i need a lot of variety and you know, if you want to look at like what's happening right now, they're like, these are the sounds that most people like in the keys that most people like with the voice, with the voices that most people like in a package that most, that most demographics find pleasing. Yeah. And, and here you go. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if you understand what it is, you go, but there's so much fucking more interesting stuff going on. And, but now you just have to look for it. And apathy's a motherfucker. It's like, you know, I have a four and a half year old. She doesn't care. She has no point of context to not having access to everything. Right. Yeah. You know, like she was born with option paralysis. Yeah. Like for her, it's, I want to hear that song again for you and me growing up. I want to hear that song again means I better be by my radio with my tape recorder ready for oh when that's yeah. when that song plays. So I'm recording it so yep. I can hear it again. And that was a luxury. Yeah. Like we didn't have a tape recorder that could record the radio until I was like six. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you had to like, you, you had that, that first, Oh shit, five to six seconds, you know, that you're going to miss every time. Cause you're like, Oh my God, they're playing, you know, you hit the playing living in America, but James Brown, yeah, which and was then, a song we recorded off the radio. <laughs> And then you taped, then you taped over another song accidentally because you didn't know where you were in the tape. Yeah, or you cannot hear the song that you wanted to hear without thinking of the song that followed it on the tape. Yep, yep. Like I, I recorded Nirvana off the radio, and the Psychedelic Furs all my life is the song that follows it on that tape, and it's all I hear after that. Do 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 do. It's a part of the song. Right. It is part of the song now. Or like if you um, had a CD with a skip on it. There's oh. so many times. There's so many times I'll be listening to something on Spotify and it sounds wrong to me because there's not a skip. Oh, know? yeah. Or when Napster was new and you downloaded it and there was like some kind of audio glitch. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that stuff. And I, I guess I'm not, I'm not nostalgic for those times to come back because I am a realist. Nobody fucking listens to the radio anymore. No. Nobody listen. you know, nobody watches TV. I don't watch TV. I use YouTube and I use my streaming channels and services. So I'm not necessarily like, bring it back. That's when things were great. No. And the truth is you can go to any record store right now and get recommendations to stuff that you've never heard. And there's more places to go and there's more ways to find music faster and see if you connect with it faster, which I'm all for. It's as the thing that kind of makes me more upset is they have their product 
and that's the product they're going to push. And an artist who's underneath that is just going to historically have a harder time now and have to really figure out how to, like, it doesn't have, the artist no longer has, even though record companies are the fucking devil, they don't have the backing to be able to become something. Springsteen won't happen again. Dylan won't happen again. Leap, 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 frog, uh, you know, far, far away from that. And a band like System of a Down probably never happens again. No, they get they get relatively big, but you take all these streaming numbers that I'm looking at and you cut them down by about to about maybe one fourth is the absolute best that they're going to do. Yep. Because, yeah, we don't want those times to come back, but there is the sort of trade off there for the convenience that we have of being able to check out music. It levels the playing field in a really cool way, but you find out that there's literally just not as many assets to reap as right. there as there once were. And I think that a record like this is literally one of the last ones that you're gonna get like that. I mean, like I talked about Lorna Shore earlier before we uh I think before we were even recording. I was really surprised to see that 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 band they're a deathcore band and they do they they released a song called to the hellfire that blew everyone's minds um even though I, I remember listening to it and being like well i mean this is deathcore i've been listening to stuff like this for years but then i look at the video and it's like the amount of streams on this thing are 11 million views for a song that ends with a guy making pig noises you know which is something I still would have checked out in the 90s because just yeah, of course. Gotta, gotta see that, you know. But how would you see it? You wouldn't see it on YouTube. It's interesting to see how that playing field has sort of leveled out in a good way because a band like that. I, I'm just happy that I lived long enough to see something really, really unpalatable for yeah. a lot of people start being accepted as like real music. Because even back in 2001. System of a Down was not something like I could sometimes get a get away with playing certain Incubus songs in front of my parents. Right. There's no way. No. Nope. Anything off of this record. Number one, my parents from the Midwest. You know, we we're about as white as it gets. Well, this guy doesn't even sound American. Number right. one. You know. Yep. Two. Why is he yelling like that? Why? Why? You know. Why is he angry like that? Which is a battle that I fought my whole early life. It was really really and i know we're just saying the same thing over and over again at this point but like it was so weird and so out there and i'm so glad that i lived at a time where it was shoved down my throat as a legitimate thing yeah and for a period of i don't know, somewhere like maybe 20 years maybe 30 years for some of us i'm i'm we're just now kind of starting to get back towards that where i'm starting to see people willing to finally listen to things that are different than what they're used to hearing, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's happening very slowly and very painfully. And like you said, with, with social media, like they have to be good at that too, instead of just being good musicians. Well, I, I think curiosity is a uh, trait that isn't really massaged in our culture, you know, play it safe, fit in, do what everybody else is doing so especially in the fucking midwest oh my god we're the we're the kings and queens of don't make a scene don't yeah. you know like oh, uh, eh, you know you know you don't want people thinking you're crazy well, we're oh, midwest yeah. nice right like oh my god yeah you can't i had a no question i had a question about the website for the podcast and i waited like four days before asking <laughs> you because i was like <laughs> 
I was like, I was like, I don't want to bother him. He's got stuff going on. I don't want to bother him. Yep. Yep. Same. I don't want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to get up. You know, up up in up in his business. He's got a life, and you're like we're we're just sort of bred to be like that. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like curiosity is like oh take a risk take a chance. Well, no, no, that's where people get killed and and terrible things happen. But like music, number one is pretty much the safest space of which you can take a chance and take a risk and find new things. But like, because at this point, no one is going to take the chance for you. And nope. in the past, there may have been some, you know, radio exec, record exec, somebody to be like, these guys are fucking good. You've got to put this out there. Yeah. You know, now it's like, Nope, it's not going to sell a million units or it's not going to get 10 million streams. So I'm sorry. The algorithm says that we can't uh, we can't assign you guys. You're all Ugh. great. You're all great yeah. musicians, but uh, you don't hit the Q zone. Yeah, we <laughs> love your we love your stuff. But yeah, we don't think that America in general or the world in general now is going to is going to really accept what you guys are doing as legitimate. And it really bums me out. But at the same time, I'm also really, really happy to see how easy it is for people to go worldwide. I mean, just like like look at what we do with uh, Dewey said something to me on the Peer Pleasure podcast about when you do a podcast, the potential of when you put a podcast out is between no one hearing it and everyone in the world hearing it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that was something that didn't exist back then. And it's funny because, like, as guys that put out podcasts every week, we're like, well, it sure would be nice if it was more in one direction than the other direction, you know. But it is really, really hard to get people to care about, a thing, that, about a thing that you're doing. Absolutely. And so for a band like System of a Down to come in, because they, do have, they did have very politically charged lyrics, it just wasn't American politics, at least not all the time. Right. And that was something that basically I think only was effective. This is what I mean by lightning in a bottle. Could have only been effective the year it came out and the environment in which it came out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is fully linked to 2001. Yep. For sure. You know, I'm sure there's conspiracy theorists who are like, Jet Pilot, they knew. <laughs> they knew about this. They were writing about, yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, that's another great thing about the modern world is uh, if you got a crazy idea, you can find support with it. You can find support for it Pretty anywhere. Yep. So don't give up on your dream. <laughs> never give up on your dream. And never stop listening to this album. It is insane to me that this in Iowa came out in the same year. <laughs> oh, Iowa. I love Iowa. So I love I. this album too, but yeah, Iowa would never get radio play. Uh, maybe my plague, uh, but like only because it's part of like a uh, Resident Evil movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, and I'll I'll throw this little tidbit in before we close up shop. But there is a really really funny quote from the Resident Evil movie. So I used to I used to only have a few DVDs, just like I had a few CDs. So I had that Resident Evil movie on DVD and I used to watch you know, you'd watch the movie and then you'd watch it again with the commentary. Oh yeah. You know, with the uh that's how we all became podcasters. If you're the kind of person that listens to a commentary on a DVD, you're probably going to be a podcaster later on in life. Um but I remember one of the actors was talking about the soundtrack of the movie. 
Okay. And they were joking about how like half the songs on the soundtrack didn't even appear in the movie. You know that it was all just a, just they were samplers. Right. You know, if you had a horror movie, it was a heavy metal that year sampler. And uh, she's like, she's like, yeah, but then you've got you know bands like Slipknot on here. She's like, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't get any weirder or more extreme than that. And I took that at face value at the time. And it's funny because, like, I watched that again probably about three or four years ago. And I was like, oh, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> well, I have no idea. I still have no idea. But it's 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 been fun learning. Well, I think the point I'm getting at with toxicity is that a lot of things can be traced back to a record like this being mainstream and being accessible yep. to the maximum amount of people possible. And in a lot of ways, as much as guys, a lot of guys that are like me that sit there in front of the computer all day and quote unquote judge music and especially heavy music, they should tip their hat to something like toxicity every now and again for sort of getting it out to people that like, oh, you can have loud, boisterous, in your face music. People are actually going to probably like it or it might it might be the thing that allows somebody to give something weird that you're into a chance. Yeah, I love it. Look at us in the dungeon, figuring it out. Just two guys talking about their feelings, man. Hey, man, just getting it out there. That's right. That is absolutely right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. If I could sit and talk to Matt Nas for five hours straight about anything, I would drop everything and do it. If you guys didn't know, Matt has a podcast called The Roach Coach Podcast, where they are trying to establish a canon for new metal. Basically, if there's a new metal album that you grew up listening to, odds are Matt and Lauren and Jenny have talked about that album on their podcast already, or they're going to. So guys, make sure you're checking out Roach Coach for sure. You guys already know where I'm at. I'm on Facebook under DFT Dungeon, Gmail, DFT Dungeon at gmail.com, yada, yada, yada. I'll have links in the show notes for all of the things that I do in all of the places that I am. Oh, I do have one announcement. I decided to sit down and make a Spotify playlist to sort of highlight some of the songs that I've talked about on the first season of the podcast. And basically, I'll just keep adding songs to that until the season is over and then you'll have a nice overview of what we talked about during the season if you guys want to jam out to that stuff if you're into that sort of thing but uh, as always guys thank you so much for tuning into this episode i've got more episodes coming this season and i can't wait for you guys to hear them remember you can always hang out with me on discord there's going to be a link in the show notes that'll take you to the discord server i hope to see you guys there but if i don't that's okay too i'll see you here next week